The Notorious OTB on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is presented by WinBet. It is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds, WinBet has what you need to win. Sign up today, bet $100, and get a $100 free bet at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. We're also brought to you by the SGPN store and their big Cyber Monday sale. 20% off everything in the store for one day only. It's this Monday using this code CYBER at store.sportsgamblingpodcast.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Notorious OTB, brought to you by the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. And as always, it's all good, baby, baby. Oh, it was all a dream. We used to read Blood Horse Magazine. I'm your host, Chase Sessoms, Wolf of Oakland, fresh off of his, uh, we'll call it, extended turkey nap hibernation uh, during the Thanksgiving holiday. And uh, joining me, guess who finally decided to show up. <laughs> What's up, Mr. Johnny come lately? Matthew DeSantis at failed to menace. He failed to menace, but succeeded in stealing our hearts and then ran away with them. and didn't come back to the show for a little bit. Matthew, <laughs> what's going on, man? <laughs> I know it's been like a month since I talked to you and it felt just like uh, eons. And so it's great to be back on the show. I'm thrilled to be here. And uh, it's always a blast talking to you. And, uh, Obviously, a great time of year as well to, uh, you know, recalibrate a little bit. Thinking yeah. about horse racing and handicapping, you know, we got through, obviously, some of the big races this year. And the downtime is always good to sit back and reflect and think about what we can improve and, and give advice to folks about uh, how they can improve as handicappers as well. Because when downtime comes, it, it's not like there's a, an abundance of it. It's not like you no. have like a six month off season or anything like your, your downtime is like a week, week and a half kind of mm-hmm. thing. So like for me, uh, I I've got Oakland getting ready to, to kick off, uh, you know, and it used to be, I'd have to wait until Oakland opened up in January until I felt like real, like consequential racing was happening again. But I mean, there's really just no, no break. Like you're going to get right into it with, with Derby preps and everything. Once Oakland starts racing, the Gulf stream fires up and Santa Anita gets going and it's, you know, then you're, we're really back into the, uh, the grind again. I had an insane thing happen to me today. Uh, Matthew, mm. uh, I guess, let me rephrase. I had an insane thing happen to, to my wife. Um, we drive back from, uh, you know, her family's place in like the Memphis area. And, uh, I get home and, I'm hanging out watching football. The wife comes in and she's like, so in our yard next to the street is what looks like a Kevlar bulletproof vest. Oh, wow. Now for her, that's a shock. But for me, you know. Many men wish death upon me. Blood in my dog and I can't see. You know, for me, I... That's it's normal, you know. It's it comes with the business, you know. Sometimes it's a Kevlar vest, sometimes yeah. it's like a pile of deceased elite hitmen, you know? Like when you just, live that life, when you live that life. It's the, the cost of business of being a kingpin, basically. Uh do you have anything just crazy happen over Thanksgiving with your uh because you spent a lot of time with your dad, I know you saw your mom a little bit. I did. Uh nothing too crazy happening in the bustling metropoli of Gum Spring, Virginia, and Travelers Rest, South Carolina. Uh, Travelers Rest. Yeah, both of those towns are as big as they sound. And uh, it is uh, nothing too crazy, but always good times to, uh, you know, see everyone. And uh, the other nice part is both my parents are huge horse racing fans. So it's a nice opportunity to chat with them about that. And my mom's handicapping skills usually go as far as betting on the gray horse. And my dad's is usually fading whoever Andy Serling is picking uh, just purely out of spite. Uh, and so that is, uh, that tells you everything you need to know about where I came from as a handicapper. So. Yeah, no, I love it. I actually, I, I love that quite a bit uh, for one betting on the gray horse is a plus 1000 ROI, uh, you know, move. <laughs> 
Uh, and then when it comes to betting against Andy, Andy Serling, I, I I don't always frown at that. I'm surprised I haven't been been blocked by by Andy Serling yet on on Twitter. Uh, I, that feels like a rite of passage. And I feel like I've towed that line. Like uh, there was one time last summer where he was like, "Well, I was gonna, you know." I was going to put the scratches in, but there's something wrong with Twitter not letting me upload pictures. I replied, you could like type them. And <laughs> my, my, my buddy Ben Wilkie, sham pals on, on, uh, on discord was like, I'm really surprised you weren't just blocked. Like <laughs> I could see him getting angry as he read that. Uh, it, it, horse racing Twitter is always a very fickle creature. And people's egos are very easily bruised in that space. And uh, yeah. I think uh, folks like you and I have a pretty thick skin. I don't think I've ever blocked anyone. I don't think so. That's not like a spam account, basically. Uh, I've definitely muted people or just decided not to follow people, but I've never yeah. blocked somebody. Uh, so uh, I, if, they, yeah, if they show up in my timeline a lot, then I'm like, well, maybe you know, the, clearly people who I respect seem to think that what they're saying is valid. And so maybe I should take a second look at this person. That is, that is a very uh, open minded way to approach it. Like for me, like if I'm going to unfollow you, I don't block people. I don't think I've been blocked by many people. I might've been blocked by way more than I assume, but uh, you know, I, for me, like if you just get like hyper political, like if everything is yeah. like a political tweet, it's like, boop, done with that. That is not what I am here for in the slightest. You know, what we are here for though. We're going we're gonna to do something different today. We're not handicapping a sequence. We're more talking handicapping in general. And uh, I've been thinking about how to phrase this because, you know, we're getting towards the holidays. So I'm going to set this up and I'm going to tie it all back together when we get done with our first break, which it. is uh, we're going to show you our Dickensian aspect. Are your wheels starting? Find out what that means when we come back to the Notorious OTB brought to you by the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Looking to get involved in the same game parlay? WinBet is your home with the WinBet Build Your Own Bet, letting you customize the bet you want to make. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today. Receive a special offer. Bet $100. Win $100. There's so much to choose from, and all you have to do is head over to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash winbet so they know that we sent you. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T to claim your free bet today. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. This will be 21 or older and present the state where play through WinBet is available. Here's some of you know as gambling problem. Call 1-800-522-4700. Also, it's Cyber Monday still, kind of, for the next couple hours. 20% off of everything in the merch store using their promo code CYBER. Store at sportsgamblingpodcast.com. It's one day only. That's where you use the code CYBER. Hell, man, there's all sorts of good stuff in there. You need things for Christmas. Bet you got, like, a sister who's real uptight and really won't like something like a onesie proclaiming her kid to be a D-Gen. That's what you should buy. That's what you should get. Well, you can get it at the store, sports.sportsgamblingpodcast.com, using the code CYBER, 20% off the entire merch store. Welcome back to the Notorious OTB, brought to you by the Spy... Let's try that again. Welcome to the Notorious OTB, brought to you by the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. So, I left you with a little cliffhanger where I promised to show you our Dickensian aspect. Uh, you're probably wondering what that actually means. Uh, if you get follow me because this gets kind of twisted to it uh if we remember the charles dickens novel a christmas carol one ebenezer scrooge is visited by jacob marley who's told he's going to be visited by three ghosts one of them being the ghost of christmas past who shows him a, a you know christmas from his past so here's what here, here's how it ties all together get ready okay here we go uh what matthew and i are going to be talking about right now is if a Jacob Marley showed up, we were visited by a ghost of Christmas past and we saw ourselves as younger handicappers. What would we tell ourselves? Like what, what's the stuff that we wish that we knew whenever we were first starting that would have just saved us time, anguish, and money. That's something that 
if you're a newer handicapper, if these are things that you aren't doing, you can start folding in and you could just like level up. Like it's like in Super Mario where you don't like wait to, you know, go to the next level. You find the ch- the secret warp and you just go automatically to the next world. You know, you just skip past it. So that, that's kind of kind of the idea here. Matthew, are you following me? Are you are you with I, me so far? I'm following you. Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future. Where I'm ready for all of them. But uh, I, it's funny because I started, I got introduced to horse racing at a very young age. I mean, I was probably 10, 11 years old when my dad first took me to the track. And so it is, it's interesting when I was, we were talking about this before we recorded and we were, you were kind of telling me the idea. And I came back to when I was, 11 12 years old but going back to more when i was like 16 17 18 like i was really starting to get a little bit more knowledgeable about things and the advice that i would give myself then uh because my advice that i would give myself at 11 was don't do two dollar show bets uh but that was a whole another phase of my life that we've gotten past yeah i also stay away from waitresses and uh you know there's a whole lot of things you can just drill into yourself at the age of 11. That sounded weird. That sounded like a, <laughs> that sounded like a self-loving Marty McFly sort of situation there, but you know, stuff that you could just, you know, really get in it, get a good base in. And see, for me, I, it's a little bit different. Like, uh, you know, I, the, the way I started handicapping and this is within the last decade, I, won't, I haven't been doing it more than 10 years. Um, my mom for her 60th birthday decided she wanted to go to Oakland. And I knew me being like, and I was the guy who was always making crazy spreadsheets, you know, as my living for work, but also for fantasy sports for everything. And I was like, oh, I fucking got horse racing. I'll just figure out what to dump into a spreadsheet and and be able to to do that, you know. And so the other thing is when you don't have friends, family who do this and you're kind of starting on your own, mm-hmm. the, the way you figure things out is, is through books. And there's like, you don't have other people to just kind of illuminate the things that now we think of as absolutely simple. Uh, but it turned, you know, w- would have been like a groundbreaking breaking thing for us. So Matthew and I each, each have three little tips for how we're going to, you know, things that you newer handicappers can listen to and say, Hey, I should learn more about this. And hopefully I'm going to say probably you'll see the upside once you do, because they're all, you know, nothing, nothing crazy high tech. It's just kind of just simple little things that we do every time. So without further ado, our three tips, three from each of us, six total tips. Matthew, what's your number three? Yeah, my number three is something that, again, going back to thinking about when I first started handicapping and really seriously handicapping, educating yourself about the different tracks. And I think that's something which is particularly helpful the deeper you get into handicapping. It's one thing if you're capping the Breeders' Cup and the Triple Crown, maybe, and and things like that, where everybody's running at big time tracks, you know, Santa Anita and Del Mar and Churchill and Keeneland and Saratoga, et cetera. Okay, you know, everybody knows those are the primary tracks, but knowing a little bit more about Sam Houston, knowing a little bit more about Laurel, knowing a little bit more about Charlestown, knowing about Canterbury, knowing about Indiana Grand, knowing about Tampa Bay Downs, knowing about Lone Star, like just knowing the track hierarchy, first of all, of where are your primary tracks, where are your top tier tracks, where are your kind of secondary, you know, middle class tracks, if you will, and where's your kind of working class tracks, you, you know, at the kind of, I don't want to say the bottom rung, but where they're, where's the, you know, $2,000 claiming race is taking place. Uh, and knowing that, and it helps you identify horses that are either stepping up sometimes or stepping down in terms of the class of the track that they're running at. They could be running the same level race, but if they're running on, on from, you know, if they're going from Churchill to Laurel, well, that's a downgrade. And so yeah. presumably they've been running against much, much better competition. And so just knowing that similarly, finding a horse that's been running again, you know, lights out against lower level competition and stepping up is something that is, uh, you know, sometimes can be a red flag. But I think that's something where a lot of us are so regional. You know, we get you with Oaklawn, myself growing up in Pennsylvania with Penn National and, and Parks. That was something which, you know, I had a very mid-Atlantic view of horse racing in a lot of ways for a lot of years. And so just knowing about Remington Park and knowing about Prairie Meadows and and then knowing the track biases that take place in each of those instances, how the turf courses play in those tracks. And one of the things that I really is also very important is knowing where the starting gate is 
for the different distances. Right. So track, knowing track configurations, how, yeah, it's a big thing. It's huge. Knowing how long the running is before they go into the first turn, you know, whether it's a turf sprint or whether it's a two-turn, you know, dirt mile or something like that. Those are really, really important factors to take into account. And it's something which, like I said, a lot of us start local. And so just expanding your base and knowing more about that. I, that's something I didn't really grasp for maybe the first, you know, four or five years that I was really handicapping. I was just so focused on my little world of the mid-Atlantic that I was ignoring shippers that were coming in and just not really getting a great grasp of that at all, all the time. I, I think that's a actually a pretty timely piece of advice because of just, especially just thinking about where we are in the year, you have a bunch of horses from, uh, you know, in Kentucky that are about to start running at Turfway. If they're not running in mm-hmm. Kentucky, they're going to ship down to fairgrounds. They're going to ship to Oakland. They're going to ship to Florida. They're going to ship to all these, all these different places. I mean, and even in expanding upon what you have is, is learning your trainers and learning uh, how they perform at the different levels of tracks. Like, uh, is it like Steven Aspison who just cleans up when it, at every race at Lone Star? Is it like Carl Broberg who might yeah. stuff you know, you know might might not do as well at the at the bigger tracks? But if you catch him at a track in Louisiana on a weeknight, he's probably going to win every single thing that's not nailed down with uh, CJ uh, attempted murder McMahon uh, up up in the irons. I love money stacks. I love money stacks. Sometimes. Sometimes you just got to pull a trigger. I mean, many men wish death upon me. Blood in my yeah, I mean, you just got to handle your business, you know. World, <laughs> so me and CJ pack two heaters. <laughs> no, you do, and it, it, it's a great point about the you know Aspuson, and that's another one where sometimes Aspuson can bring in a horse to Sam Houston or something like that that just has not been running well anywhere. And all of a sudden that horse just lights out at Sam Houston because it's, you know, the horse has been running at Churchill. The horse has been running at Saratoga and yeah. all of a sudden now he's going down to Sam Houston. And I mean, that's always, I think eye popping and this gets in other aspects of handicapping, but when you look at like the workout tab and you see like these Aspen horses that are running like 48 second, four furlongs and the horses they're running against are running like 53 second, four furlongs. And you're like, right. okay, this is going to be over quick. And, uh, and it usually is. Yeah. And I mean, it's not just one thing where it's like, hey, let me learn when to fade horses because because they're shipping into to smaller tracks. Sure. It's like, but it's also, hey, let me upgrade this this specific horse, even though it's been racing in a smaller track, because this is what I understand about the track circuit. There's one horse I can think of specifically that I think actually won the Met Mile for for the aforementioned ass man, which is uh B Jersey. Um oh, yeah. Uh B Jersey either came from Lone Star or Sam Houston. I was like, this horse doesn't have a chance in the Met Mile because it's a Sam Houston shipper. Yeah. Wrong. Wrong. Uh, they still have chances. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to give you my, my tip three. Um, you know, Matthew did a really good job of putting together really well thought out tips that are in depth and everything. I'm going to hit you with the, just the, the low hanging fruit here. Uh, handicap without the morning lines. Yeah. It's, it's a big deal. Um, either buy the past performances early enough that they don't have the morning lines in it, learn how to block them out. Like now I, like I had, now that I've been doing it long enough, I have like morning line, like blindness where I just don't even notice when it's up there. Uh, if you use DRF, you use formulator, you can just turn the, your, your morning lines off. Now, why is that important? It's not just because it clutters it up. It gives you more things to think about. When you're getting started, I feel like people tend to view the morning lines almost as the gospel. Like they Mm -hmm. see a a four to five on the morning line. It's like, oh, well, this horse is unbeatable. Let's just go ahead and move on. The morning line has it. Here's the deal about morning line makers. There are only a couple who are really good at it. Like David Aragona. David Aragona in New York makes a great morning line. There are places where there are really bad morning lines and it really kind of throws off the pools being able to handicap get an unbiased opinion without using the morning lines helps you find this sort of value know like when's a good time to be uh, against the public who's maybe trusting this i mean it's at its core is handicapping it's finding the value in a horse that you think is undervalued absolutely and it's funny i i was going to mention david because one of the other tips you could just give is like identify people who are really good at setting morning lines and sometimes pay attention to those if you're struggling and, you know, if you're handicapping the New York circuit, 
sometimes I like looking at David's morning lines to go, oh, well, he, okay, he, that's how he sees this hierarchy going. Uh, you know, there was just a race recently where he had three Chad Brown entries at five to two, five to two, and three to one. And it was like, okay, so he doesn't really see any difference between these three horses. So, you know, and that's where you can start to dig in and maybe find value. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and that's another one where you just pay attention to, to what their morning line is and then pay attention to how the horses go off. And that'll tell you everything you need to know about which tracks in particular to ignore for the morning line. You know, and obviously, you know, there's a bunch of mitigating circumstances that sure. can go into that. But and that and and by the way, let me be clear: setting the morning line is something I never want to have to do for my job, right? Uh, because it is a thankless job, absolutely. <laughs> in a lot of ways. But uh, but I think you're absolutely right that that it, you can identify huge value sometimes if you just look at it with a fresh set of eyes, essentially, and you're not biased by somebody saying, "Well, that's a twelve to one horse." So you go, "Well, maybe I'll skip over looking that more in depth." You do it blind. You can really, like I said, identify some horses that end up being huge values. I mean, you can also, I mean, if you want to, if I'm going to make this like a three, a, I guess three with a bullet, which is try as an exercise handicap without the morning lines, go through each horse and then pick out what you think they're going to close at. Like when the gates pop, where you think the odds are, and it'll kind of, you'll, you'll learn to, to go back and look and say, you have maybe had a horse that you were like, Oh, this is going to close at 20 to one. And it goes off, you know, three to one, four to one. You can then go back and say, why was I so wrong? Why did this horse take so much money? And it makes you a little bit more savvy looking forward into your days as to, yes, I found this 30 to one shot. I handicapped it without the morning lines. I really liked it, but it ended up going off damn near the favorite. So right. what was it? What was it that tipped off John Q betting public, you know, that this was happening? Great All right. Point. Number two. What do you got? Yeah, so number two is more of a tip, but something that I have picked up and is maybe one of my favorite angles now, which is really paying attention to equipment changes in lower level races. Uh, This is something that I probably didn't pay as much attention to as I should have early on. And it's because equipment changes can be a little hit or miss sometimes. And, And I think at certain levels of racing, it can be very overstated. I think when you're looking at stakes races, when you're looking at high level allowance races, blinkers going on it can be a little overstated the lasix thing is just so all over the place i think it's hard to know how individual horses react to that all the time uh and especially with all the different state variations to it it's just you know again it can be difficult to to have a precise handicapping perspective on it but particularly blinkers that is one of my favorite angles is just going to a maiden claiming race and looking at who's getting blinkers on because a lot of times maiden claiming races are sprints because these horses haven't won yet. And so they're not stretching the horse out. I mean, I can't think of the last time there was a two-turn turf maiden claiming race. I mean, you just don't see those types of races right. very often. Right. And so it's a sprint, and therefore it's about speed. And who's going to get to the lead first? And these horses are not world beaters. And so you get a horse to the lead early, that horse feels brave, and suddenly a horse that has shown nothing to this point is the winner. And you go, how's this horse that's finished – no better than eight any time in their career suddenly taken down the win. And so I, that's one I, I, I just use a lot. And again, it's about when you use some of these angles, it's not just, Oh, equipment change across the board. I'm going to play that blinkers on or blinkers off angle. It's knowing what type of races blinkers on is going to have the biggest impact on low level claiming races, maiden claiming races. That's where I'm looking to play that angle. Not really looking at it anywhere else. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, too, these trainers are trying to throw the kitchen sink at these horses to get them into the winner's, winner's circle for the first time in a maiden claimer. So, uh, you know, they, they kind of are, are trying a lot of stuff. And like I said, you can a lot of times find big prices in those spots. And so that's that's an angle that I, I wish I had discovered a little bit earlier because I've had a lot of success with. I, I think especially with the lower level races, yeah, seeing those sort of moves where they're they're give, they're putting Lasix on, they're putting blinkers on, they're you know tr- trying weight breaks, they're trying all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I mean, with those, especially like say it's like a five thousand dollar claimer. Well, I feel like a lot of the trainers probably have, unless it's like their one horse, they have tons of other horses that are probably running at at other different levels more important levels it shows that they're actually like invested right. in, in trying yeah. to get the horse to win that they 
they actually care about it. But I will tell you, I mean, when you no matter what the race is, if you throw in blinkers, you throw in Lasix, you geld the horse, you give it a weight break. Yeah. I'm just I'm a simp for it. <laughs> Little pig boy. Can I get the definition? Little pig boy. He's that pathetic, dirty bitch, baby. Mistress gets the stand on. I'm a dirty little pig boy. Dirty little pig boy for, for those moves. Uh, I, one thing I think, and I'll add to yours, is uh, understand what these equipment changes are intended to do. Yes. Like, what is the point of, of adding blinkers? What is the point of taking off blinkers? Uh, especially, like, for maiden races, understanding that they're putting blinkers on to usually get, a, you know, a couple extra lengths of gate speed out. You know, that's that's kind of the intended, you know, get them, get them moving a little bit faster earlier uh, is, is great, especially maiden races where you have races that are often one wire to wire. Like, putting blinks on in those horse on those horses, that, that's worth noting. Or it's worth noting because you have a horse that's never shown a, a ton of early speed. Well, now it's going to show early speed. So what is it going to do to the, the overall, you know, pace scenario of the race? Like right. they're understanding, not only understanding, you know, when to play those angles, but why they, they do those things to, I, I mean, essentially create an angle for yourself of, I, I like it whenever they add blinkers to horses who have done this. Congratulations. You came up with your first personal angle, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 to be very specific about the types of horses I like to see blinkers get put on, a lot of times it's a horse that breaks poorly or doesn't show speed and is like 10 lengths back at second call, but then finishes like 10 lengths back. And it shows that the horse doesn't mind running. It just shows that the horse got off to a crappy start in a lot of instances. Now a horse that is eight lengths back at second call and finishes 25 lengths back I worry a little bit more. I go, I don't know if blinkers is necessarily going to do the trick there because that's a horse that may not always love to run, but a horse that kind of runs evenly the whole way around. And you go, listen, if this horse just got a little bit more speed out of the gate. This horse could get up there and seem to be running around the same pace as everybody else once they got going. And so you put the blinkers on, that makes a huge difference. So, uh, but, but blinkers also have different impacts on different types of horses. And, and so, and sometimes trainers will tell you that, you know, Horses will finish better with certain, you know, uh, types of blinkers as well. So, uh, yeah, it's always good to know kind of why these equipment changes matter, why a horse is gelded, why, you know, how, how you know, is this horse going to be easier to handle now in the starting gate and not going to get this worked up and lathered up before going out yeah. to the gate? You know, so understanding the purpose behind those equipment changes is so critical. Yeah, and I, I actually, I, I love those horses that start off maybe like, five links back then finish like 30 links back and then you know they throw blinkers on it because to me it's a it's a horse that uh had needed the lead otherwise yeah it, that's it, true it, it would quit and uh finding those horses that i think were need the lead types then quit i i mean i, I mistress should be angry at me little pig boy comes from the dirt <laughs> he's a weasley little mud grub who needs to be stood on little pig boy gold absolute gold all right so my my number two is it's it's kind of uh, i will admit uh this can be a very nebulous subject however i think just getting yourself as acclimated to the basics of it and learning more about it as you go is something that's huge so when i started handicapping like i said i i was a grown man in my office at work who's like i'm gonna solve the world through a spreadsheet um you know pulling together speed figures things like this being very very like figure and numerical based you read books to learn how to handicap you pick up andy byers book what is andy byers book is going to tell you i mean as the father of the buyer speed figure is going to be how to handicap with with you know these figures where the figure is the you know be all end all the highest you know it's the fastest quote quote air quotes fastest horse and therefore it's going to run the fastest race and win um stop thinking like that don't i look at that and then i look at where i am now 95 percent of how i handicap a race almost goes to pace it's all about the pace setup it's the trip that they're going that the horses are going to get uh within the context of the entire race of everybody that they're running with uh who's it going to benefit 
who's it going to hurt? Because it happens in every race. If there's a pace, it's going to benefit some group of horses and it's going to extremely hurt other groups of horses. And so you can find that uh, there are times where I I've even seen a horse that's maybe say 20 points slower than, than other horses, but the pace setup just works out perfectly. And it's the big step because when you're handicapping by figures alone, get ready to hit, to eat a lot of chalk. You will be, you'll be right on horses that you should be right about a lot of the time. You know, you're going to be wrong on the horses that, you know, you never would have caught by figures a lot of the time also. And the thing is, that's where a lot of the value tends, you know, tends to come from. So you learning to look at something in terms of this whole race is an organism. It's like an amoeba that's just moving around, but it's all together. One, one organism. When you're looking at just the figures and handicapping from that standpoint, what you're doing is you're looking at the race horse by horse by horse and saying, if you separate out this horse and it runs like it wants to, this is what it will do. But mm-hmm. you can't look at it like that. For one, mm-hmm. these things, these animals are pack animals. Like there's there's a there's a hierarchy to how they run together and everything. And there's like personalities and stuff. So, you know, just because a, a horse had a hundred a hundred buyer doesn't mean it's a true alpha and it's out there, you know, going to be out there running every single pack. It's just not, it's not how it works. And it's something that I remember distinctly thinking, you know, seeing one time like, Oh, Hey, it seems like everyone went really fast there. And then the closer was able to pick it up light bulb. Mm-hmm. There it is. Well, there, we turned the light bulb on for you. Do more, uh, do, you know, do more research into it Buy books on, on pace. There are things that are extremely simple and there are things that you need a fucking, piece of scratch paper and a TI-83 for. Uh, it's just all about what you're more comfortable with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was nice. This actually blends with some of the other advice we were, uh, I was talking about earlier with getting to know your tracks too. Because one of the big things that I would say is getting to know how jockey colonies approach pace in yeah. different spaces. I feel so like it, we're about to talk about New York. Yeah, we're going to talk about New York turf races, <laughs> which... I mean, you can look at the PPs all day and they're going to run 2550 for the opening quarter and a half. Like they just are. No matter, yeah. it doesn't matter how fast the horse is. Yeah. I the rattle size will be in the front. And yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it kills me. So Kendrick Carmouche will be out there with him. <laughs> exactly. So you just, you know, sometimes you, you can sit there and look at what a pace scenario should be, but then also knowing jockeys well enough. And, and that's the other thing is knowing jockeys who are aggressive. And seeing a jockey who's aggressive on a horse that likes to go to the lead, and you go, okay, that's a nice setup right there. Mm-hmm. Versus a jockey who might be a little bit more timid with a horse that likes to go to the lead, and you go, eh, there's another speed horse in here. Is this horse really going to get sent as hard as he needs to? You know, those are the angles that you you know, just always need to consider as well. And then I think it also speaks to like the the track hierarchy as well. Like, okay, this is a horse that always gets to the lead at Evangeline Downs. Yeah. Now this horse is running a Keeneland. Maybe I'm less optimistic about this horse getting to lead against more elite competition. Right. Um, and I mean, that's where pace figures get into, you know, play obviously in early pace versus late pace, et cetera. But, um, you know, I, I, pace is huge. I mean, I, I, much like you, the first, probably the first thing I do, honestly, when I look at a PP for a race is I very quickly scroll down and see how many ones do I see across the running yeah. lines for how many different horses. And that tells me a lot about how I'm going to approach that particular race. See, and that's what I'll do is I'll, as I'm making my own personal pace projections, you've seen my, my bootleg ass, uh, non (laughs) don't sue me time form pace projections. What, what I'll do is I, I'm like you, I, I will scroll through. And the first thing I do is find the horses that I think will be out there on the lead and make sure that I, I take the, you know, the image and put it out to the front in front of all the, all the horses there and then go back through and start looking at where horses like to run yeah. off of the pace, like how many links and stuff. And then, I mean, hell, I mean, we can even fold it into your, your tip about equipment and say, okay, now I'm looking at this horse who's had an equipment change and added blinkers. Normally it likes to run five pace, you know, five, five links back. Well, with these blinkers is going to run two to three links back is going to be a little bit closer and add more pressure to it. Just mm-hmm. understanding pace, understanding how they all work together and understanding that pace is always about pressure. It's going to put pressure on, uh, you know, it's going to put pressure on some horses 
It's going to be easier on other horses. If you want to talk about pace pressure, there's a book that's called Extreme Pace Handicapping that teaches you uh, a pace pressure gauge based on like the Kieran speed points, which is you see like the EP one through eight or, you know, E8, S1 through whatever. Uh, it's a it's a process of using like the run styles along with those Kieran speed points to come up with a pace pressure gauge to tell you how hot it's going to be. It's worth checking out because uh, it's before I got super into pace and understanding the fractions, that was like my first step into it. And it was so basic and so easy to understand. And you get the book and you're like, why did I pay for this book when I only needed to pay for the first like 20 pages? Because it's ser- seriously just as simple as I, as I described there. So yeah, check, check that out. And then whenever you get into it, you can, you can start getting to, I think that whatever the book is from like the DRF, that's like really, like high high depth, like calculating your turn times and things like that for for uh for for handicapping. So, Matthew, what is your your number one? If you were to go back in time, little little Matthew DeSantis is, is slaving over his, next to his oil lamp, riding with his quill, and Ebenezer <laughs> Ebenezer Serling's fucking you know <laughs> ha- handicap sweat sweatshop. Like he hadn't even bought the Matthew DeSantis hat yet. Like he's not <laughs> even really Matthew DeSantis. What do you tell that young man? What is the number one thing you tell that young man? It's funny. The number one thing is something I still work on every single day, which is trainer intent. What do trainers intend from a horse? Because you and I can do all the handicapping in the world. But if a trainer is using this race as a, a, a workout, basically, and pointing towards something else, then all the handicapping kind of goes to crap because right. the horse isn't ready to run or the horse isn't kind of, this is not what the horse is pointing toward. Right. I think the other thing which I've become much more conscientious of over the last several years is knowing what races horses are pointing towards for the year. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes that's easier to figure out, obviously, with bigger named horses and big time trainers from the very beginning of the year what is this horse's goal is it the breeders cup is it something you know or is it just a big stakes race at a local track you know something like that uh what are they pointing this horse toward um trainer intended maiden races you know suge mcgahee infamously you know let suge mcgahee horses run one or two times before you start putting money on them in a maiden race they run into shape other other trainers they are ready out of the box i mean they are ready out of the gate to go and win that first race Absolutely. And just understanding trainer intent. And also, and this goes to the tracks. We talked about it earlier. What tracks do certain trainers take their best horses to? And knowing where do trainers want to pick up that maiden special weight win in some cases, right. or where are trainers going to prioritize winning that training title in some instances? Yeah. You know, it was, it was no mistake that Brad Cox cleaned up at Keeneland in the fall. That was very clearly where he wanted to do well. He's a Midwestern trainer. And so, you know, those things matter. And it it can be tough. It can be a lot of reading in between the tea leaves a little bit. It can be paying attention to workout tabs. It can be paying attention to trainer interviews in some cases. Like it, it, it takes a lot of things to pull together. It's not this like number that you can look at or this, you know, specific angle. It's just, it's nebulous, but it is something that just has so much impact because after a race is run, you know, you hear the trainer give an interview and you go, oh, they never intended for this horse to win this race. <laughs> right. So then you go, oh, well, I'm an idiot for trying to bet on this horse. So I think those are just things to trainer intent, something, like I said, I think all of us are always trying to get better at and just understanding that it's not going to be easy to always track down, particularly at the lower level races. But like I said, in maiden races, I think, you know, trainer stats can be extremely helpful and things like that. And then the upper levels, it's just about paying attention to, trends and interviews and understanding where horses are horses are pointed towards during different times of the year you know a, a super obvious way to to get onto these you know uh the trainer you know trainer intense with your more upscale horses uh let's pick i'm gonna say a, a random name uh let's say uh jack christopher has been running in Grade one, grade two, grade three races. Now he's dropped to a hundred thousand dollar optional claimer. There's no claiming tag. Well, that is an obvious, you know, tighten the screws sort of race for something that's coming down the line. You know, for a grade 
graded stakes down the line where you know the horse runs its best because maybe it just needs needs to get a race out of its system maybe they're working on something new um but it makes some dicey propositions i mean they yeah. those horses do not always you'll, you'll wonder like why this world beater didn't run a lick against all these other horses like matthew just said they were never you know intending the you know to actually get out and win here and you know also like you said where where do people want to win things that's important this is that is a very important po- point that matthew brings up and, uh, and, yeah and, and i was say, yeah go, go ahead. ahead oh yeah I, I was just gonna say there's a horse to that point about where they win things there was a horse uh that debuted at parks this past uh uh this past pennsylvania derby day and Tuskegee Airmen mm-hmm. and won the My grandfather was in the Tuskegee experiments. There you go. <laughs> not really. That's sorry. That's a, that's a, <laughs> such like a like a random non sequitur Dave Chappelle quote. Uh me being a white person would sound like he administered. We were nowhere near those. I'm just gonna put that out there. <laughs> but this is a horse that it's interesting that the day of the race, I think it was like four to one, and it had had never run before. And the trainer stats weren't overwhelming, but I talked to someone on the track and they said, oh, that horse was supposed to debut at Saratoga. And I promptly went to the betting window and I put everything I had on Tuskegee Airmen. Because mm-hmm. if they had, and, and the only reason he didn't debut at Saratoga is because of rain and they didn't, it was just sloppy and they weren't going to handle the slop. And so they scratched the horse. And I was like, this horse is going to run lights out at parks on, because then they kind of identified the next biggest day that they could go and, and kind of get some uh, attention and so they went to Parks for Pennsylvania Derby Day, and the horse ran lights out, one by like six lengths uh, over a next out winner, and actually ended up going and winning a listed stakes race in the second time out. So, you know, the, those are just those instances where trainer intent, you know, if you hear somebody's trying to run at Saratoga, it's like they clearly think a lot of this horse. Like that's, right. you know, that's a prestigious meet to get up to. Um, and, you know, similarly, if the, if if a trainer is kind of slow playing a horse and it's like, well, we'll see, we'll debut him at like Gulfstream during the non-championship meet. Like if a Todd Pletcher horse is doing that, it's like, OK, like that's an OK horse in Pletcher's barn then probably or one that maybe yeah. needs a race or two under their belt before they they really take off. Um, yeah, And even the, it even ties back into your tip one of understanding track hierarchies, because uh, there are certain places that are high up on that track hierarchy where people want their two-year-olds to win on debut. Yeah. Those places are Keeneland, Del Mar, Saratoga. Yup. What's the reason for that? It's because these are meccas of horse auctions and the thoroughbred breeding industry. It's about their pride, these these different breeders saying, hey, I'm able to breed this many first out winners at the King at the Keeneland Spring Meet. I'm able to breed this this many first out winners. Uh, Saratoga winners at, at Saratoga. It's it's really it's really important how much uh, people's you know own pride and vanity uh you know plays into it as a, as a just a business thing uh for for that. So yeah, uh, knowing that I, this person's only going to put their best horses in at Keeneland for and also paying attention to the connections and saying, yeah. you know, I, I know that Steve Asperson has a Winchell thoroughbreds horse that he's running at Keeneland for the for the very first time. Well, Winchell only gives him his best their their best you know best horses. It, it, he's only going to try to win at Keeneland with Winchell, you know, with, as an owner, you know, for the breeders and everything, uh, for the love of God, it's, it's called the breeders cup. It's not because, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not just a derogatory term for straight bars. It is meant <laughs> to do with the old horse jizz biz. So my number one tip, this is the, the thing that falls by the wayside usually first when people are trying to handicap they haven't given themselves enough time and it's just like i would like to do this but i just you know i couldn't do it i didn't have time it's not something that i really wanted you know could could swing so i just went by the paper watch replays for the love of god watch watch replays and there are three this is three pronged with watching replays first is comment lines are small in a, in a past performance uh, you go to a results chart. It's only a couple, you may have you know, gone from a few words to a couple sentences that doesn't really necessarily tell the test, you know, tell, tell what happened during a race. Nothing tells you what happened in a race, what kind of trip a horse got more than just going and watching the horse's replay of its race. 
Uh, I mean, for one, to just, you know, say the horse ran an impressive race. Go and see if it was really that impressive. Did the horse have everything his own way? We don't know. A horse ran a really shitty race. Sometimes things happen, and it's like they just will – they're – they have to, they only have like six words to tell you what happened in a race in a, in a yeah. past performance. And so they might not tell you that the horse, you know, jumped over a shadow or the horse, mm-hmm. you know, the, the rider lost the whip thing, things like that. You can really go back and start either upgrading or downgrading horses based on how they looked, but this is the second prong and it ties it directly back into this. If you're going to watch a horse's, uh, you know, replay and try to gauge what kind of trip it got, how it ran, especially if it's a track that you don't know, you don't understand the bias. It's not going to help you to view that race in a vacuum on its own. At least go through and just kind of speed through races during the day and get an idea of what the track bias might have been. And then you can start once again upgrading and downgrading because you'll know, hey, this horse ran lights out. It had a great trip. Uh, you know, maybe showed a little bit, but at the end of the day, it caught the rail and the rail was hot and the rail was just carrying winners. That's what I saw with a bunch of, you don't always just go by, by the post position too. Like you need to go back and look right. at paths, which that's a whole other talk. Like we'll do a show on track bias sometime. And that's a yeah. whole other talk that's, that's involved. And then day of like watching replays. So you've handicapped your card. You've watched your replays for past performances. You watch replays to see if they were running you know, with or against a bias. That's great. That's all the prep work. But when you're in the trenches sometimes and you're actually going through a day's card, you have to be uh, agile, mobile, and, and fucking hostile. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, it, it's paramutual wagering. And it's every man for himself. Sorry. I'll just cut it off. I just, I was gonna, yeah. I, my eyes lit up when I realized I could work that in one more time. Um, so yeah, uh, watch actual replays from the track feed right after the race runs. There's a reason that they show these. Not they don't just give you snippets. It's not like watching Sports Center and seeing you know Bam out of Bayou you know dunk on somebody. It, it's like you get to see how Bam out of Bayou got into place to dunk on people. Like you get to watch the entire race, and they don't only give it to you. From the pan, they give you another angle. They give you the head-on. The head-on is so fucking important. It's so important for understanding how a track is playing, uh, why even a track is necessarily playing that way, what paths winners are taking, what sort of moves winners are taking, where uh, horses who made up ground late, what kind of trip did they get? Horses who faded late, what kind of trip did they get? And also, I mean... Even if you're not able to, I know some of y'all have day jobs or you're getting your bets in and kind of you're watching under the table while someone is saying something really important to you. You're just like, yeah, uh huh. Mm -hmm." (laughs) Believe me, probably wouldn't be doing this for a living if that weren't the case. So, you know, go back after the day is complete, especially if you're way off and start watching those head on replays and start figuring out what the fuck was going on that you were missing that you just weren't seeing. And you can really kind of write the ship really quick, really quick. You can write the ship as soon as you figure out how that track is playing. Now, is it foolproof? No, but what in horse, horse racing is, I mean, you, you get Jim Bob with a fucking handful of mushrooms and a bottle of whiskey. He might go out there and just fuck that track up on his night off. You know, might just be like crash Davis trying to get a rain out in the Carolina league. <laughs> it is. It, yeah. Now I I could not agree more, and and uh, you know I when I saw you were going to talk about race replays, I'm glad because that was going to be one of my angles as well. I love watching race replays, and I love watching. And and here's the thing is when I'm really handicapping a card, I'll watch race replays a couple of times just to kind of look at the, especially if there's multiple horses in the same race that are now racing again. A lot of yeah. times you'll see this with like Derby prep races or sometimes yeah. Breeders' Cup races. Uh, where there's three or four horses that have run against each other in a previous race. I love watching that. And I'll watch three or four times to track every single horse because your eye can only catch so much. And so I want to see what happened to each of those horses in that particular race and look at their, uh, and look at it. And then you mentioned the head on versus the more panoramic wide angle view. 
And, and I, here's the other thing, and you're absolutely right. And there's a reason that my handle on Twitter has failed the menace because it's the funniest racing line, in my opinion, because yeah. it means nothing. It just yeah. like if you show somebody who just started handicapping failed to menace, they'd be like, what the hell does that mean? And yeah. like, you got to watch the race a couple times to kind of yeah. understand what that note actually means. But it's, it's also something where you said it, they have six words to kind of get everything smashed in there. One of the things I always look at in race replays, horses that get stuck on the rail that are full of run. Yeah. And that happens so much. I hate seeing a horse second flight inside position. It's the worst because the, the horse in front inevitably fades and backs up into the horse that I was liking. And then next thing you know, that horse is full of run, but can't get out in the clear. And so you can, again, that's what you don't always see sometimes with those comments. And you watch a replay and you realize, oh, that horse is loaded for bear. And if this horse gets even anywhere near a decent trip this next time out, it's going to be ready to roll. So uh, I, I love watching replays, fully endorse that, and do it at all different levels too. Like that's the thing is replays, you know, some of these angles I was talking about are better at lower levels than upper levels. Race replays are great. Any level, anyway. any track across the board, you're going to learn something. And I mean, if you if you're able to learn how to manage your time in terms of how you're handicapped, especially if you're doing it every day. Like for me, I'm handicapping pretty much every day and it's either for my tip sheets. It's for my own personal play. It's for, you know, all, all, all sorts of stuff. I've got to budget my time out. And so learn to budget your time with how you're, when, when you have time to handicapping and make sure that you're budgeting out that time to go back through and, and say, can I look at this replay now? It, watching a replay of every single horse, you probably should do it. That's a lot of time, though. A lot of time. So at least be going back and looking at, uh, you know, horses where they have inexplicably low figures or inexplicably high figures and figure out just what the hell, just what the hell happened. And I mean, to you will understand the importance of replays just to a T the first time you watch a head on break from a gate and see yeah. absolutely everything that happens when these they're colliding off of each other that's stuff that doesn't even get mentioned you know uh if you see the words pinballed start that horse had a really fucking bad start right and it's probably not even gonna say anything about the other horses that this one pinballed off of Right. Like it's not not even going to mention that. That's not even going to come into there. And so you can say, well, this one pinballed around and knocks mine into the three X score multiplier and all that bullshit. <laughs> so no, yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, I, and I again, a lot of times, uh, what I would say is you can't watch all the replays, obviously, but I would say horses that you're intrigued in that might be a big value. Look for those yeah. uh, again, and then sometimes you can catch something in the note where it's like it hints at trouble and you're like, I need to dig in. Like how bad of trouble was this? Was this yeah. just like getting kind of pushed out one path or was this like egregious? And so yeah. again, you don't pick that up. So sometimes you're just reading through the form and you just kind of pick up a note and you're like, uh, I want to take it. I want to take a closer look at this just to see exactly what they mean by it. So uh, yeah, we all have, we all have day jobs. And so we all gotta, yeah, <laughs> yeah well, we, 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 we gotta uh, figure that stuff out and, and You know, in my my case, I'll say I kind of I kind of got a day job. Matthew's got a day job, day job. Um, <laughs> man, so in in your absence, Serial Bodway, she's made up a, a, a bunch of ground. I need to go back and calculate wow. the scores and see where where you are because uh, you're still you're still you're still the king, you know. But uh, no. you know, when, I, when you're the king, everybody comes shooting for you, and uh, you know it is. Uh, and and Sarah's a good friend. Yeah, Sarah's mm -hmm. a good friend. I've done a lot of stuff with Sarah. Sarah mm -hmm. actually met my dad over the Thanksgiving holiday uh, during one of our, uh, we did a preview of a race and my dad decided to chime in with his thoughts. And he actually, oh, I saw that. Yeah. One of the winners, uh, yeah. believe it or not. So, uh, you know, so yeah, but Sarah, if Sarah overtakes me, so be it. Anybody else, I, I might have words, but we'll, uh, we'll, that's for another day. I sent Sarah a message on Thanksgiving uh, because I watched that video that you guys made and it was like, 
you know, it was on your on your show. The which, by the way, go ahead, give him the title. He's, Matt's doing his Matthew's doing his show his show again, and it's important that you check it out. Matthew, title, title of the show. It's called the Win Place Show, and uh, you can find it on my Twitter feed at Failed to Menace. Yeah, and so I'm watching that that video that you did, and uh, she throw threw in an edit back to the very first time that you guys were on screen yeah. together, and yeah. that was that's. That was touching, moving stuff. Like it, I was watching. I'm watching it on Thanksgiving, the time to be around family and friends, to really be thankful for them. And then you see uh, this nostalgic flashback to the very first time that that Matthew met Sarah, and uh, I t- t- tugged on the heartstrings. Like, people, yeah, well, people are like, why are you crying on the couch? Like, <laughs> you wouldn't understand. It's funny. That's the reason we did the preview because the very first time she ever did anything on video, I had. I invited her on the show last year, uh, last uh, November of 2021, to preview the Comely Stakes. And so she thought it would be only appropriate to preview the Comely Stakes for 2022 together. So yeah. it was, uh, yeah, it was really nice to do that. But uh, I also just cry on the couch sometimes around the holidays for no well, reason yeah. at all. So there, there's that as well. But, Seasonal uh, affective disorder is a, is a thing. <laughs> it's, it's real. Don't let anyone tell you that it's No, fine. it is. It's very real. <laughs> um, yeah, man. That's a. Uh... That's good stuff. That's good stuff. I'm glad to see that y'all y'all got to do stuff together. And it's funny. It's like now, you know, it's like we're the Ike Turners, and she's the Tina. Like she's the we we have our without we have abuse. Our, yeah, without <laughs> much much less abuse. For one, I think that Sarah could beat me up. Two, um, it's just don't do it. I, I guess would be the, the main takeaway. Probably don't do that. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, don't so. do that. But yeah, she is. Uh, yeah, she's a star and. Uh, it's, uh, but it's great. I mean, I, I think that's, uh, you know, the beauty of I mean, tying this back to, you know, what we were talking about here earlier is the beauty is when you talk to different people, they all have different perspectives and angles on this sort of thing. And they're all worth thinking about because they've clearly worked for these different people. And it's yeah. about how they leverage that information. So when you, when you're new to horse racing, if you're just getting really serious about horse racing, learning, don't shut yourself off from other ideas and don't get so set in your ways that you don't learn from other people uh, is the best thing I can tell people. And I can't tell you how much I've learned from you, from Sarah, from other people across horse racing, Twitter about different tracks, different angles, the whole nine yards. It's not like we grew up in the 1920s selling papes in Brooklyn. And then we get off work <laughs> at 10 o'clock for the day. Don't go to school. We go straight to the track. And then there's some, you know, uh, obi-wan kenobi style wise guy who who will teach you all about handicapping anymore like that those days are past like i'll tell you what i learned i learned handicapping by talking to strange men on the internet so i encourage you (laughs) do that a lot a lot but seriously like go to the horse racing reddit go to disc go join a discord do do things like talk to people on twitter hell shoot shoot people dms ask them things a lot of times if they don't have something that they're trying to sell then they'll more than likely love chopping it up with you and, and try to teach you something because you know one, it's important for our existence to, you know, continue. But two, uh, I mean, oh, you might make a friend. Who knows? Absolutely. Yeah. Look at us. Look at us. Look at us. Just a, just a fucking success story of when talk, talking to strange men on the internet goes right. Um, <laughs> hell, he and I got a random email from this uh, Nigerian, uh, Mister. Mr. Adebayo, who was like, hey, listen, uh, one of your relatives died. You're entitled to all this money. Just send us the money. We did it. The money came back a hundredfold, just like he promised. (laughs) I don't know why people are so wary of them. That's going to do it for us here at the Notorious OTB. Listen to this one. Listen to these tips. Fold them into what you're doing if it's not something that you're, you're doing already. And also, if it's something that we need to know, at the show on Twitter at notorious underscore OTB. Give us a, you know, throw some suggestions. We'd love to hear them. I'll read them off here on the show so you, that uh, everyone can enjoy them. And, uh, you know, check it out. Give the show a follow. Uh, like it, rate it, review it on uh, Spotify, wherever you get it. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you, uh, I guess, Wednesday. I think I got Dennis Trusty coming in on uh, nice. to do our, our Wednesday show. Uh, the world's oldest young man on horse racing twitter great he's like statement. he says he's 24 that man he is 47 years, years old 
and yeah. may have already had at least one organ replaced. I'm thinking of at this point. The only thing he's ever done to clue me in to make me think that he might actually be the age that he says he is was uh, it was right around the time he would have turned 21. If he is indeed of, of this age, he was like, oh, I need something better to drink. Like I'm 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 tr- drinking Jose Cuervo and I'm chasing it with with cherry Pepsi. I'm like, what? Who are you? Why are you like this? No, man. No. He's such a good guy, though. And he can always take yes, a joke. I like Dennis a lot. Me too. I love that dude. We'll see him later this week. We got other people coming on. Matthew, of course, will he'll be pot. He'll be a, he'll be around. He'll be around. Now that I got him nailed down, he'll be back in sometime soon, I'm sure. So we'll catch you next time on the Notorious OTV, brought to you by the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. We'll see you later this week. <laughs>